Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And before we jump into our topic, um, I wanted to do a little bit of self-promotion, if I may. You may. Yay! Permission granted. Okay, so uh, as some of the listeners might know, I do like to write things from time to time. And I've written a number of short stories, and I eventually realized that short stories are good for, like, experimenting with one quick idea and learning how to some of the craft of writing. But in the end, no one really reads short stories. No one talks about short stories. It's not something you do nowadays if you want to have an impact and or be noticed, right? And I want both those things. So I started <laughs> working on a novel. Uh, this was specifically a novel that's based off one of my short stories where uh, I ran into the editor at a one of these cons and she was like, oh my God, I loved it so much. This was fantastic. And I was like, oh, thank you for telling me that because I've been wanting to write something and there was so much more I could have done and I had to cut shit out just to fit it into the word count and all right, I'm totally going to do this. So uh, then I spent the next year and a half uh, writing, which also contained a fair bit of reading up on ancient Rome. And uh, eventually I finished this book. And I actually finished this right around the time Trump was being sworn in, I think, maybe a month or two after. It would have been like the spring of what, 2018 then? 2017? 2018. Because I remember you went to Burning Man for the first time that, that summer. Yeah. And you sent me a PDF of your book and you said, if I die, make sure the world sees this book. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you were thinking ahead though. Right. Because I you, mean... You didn't know what to expect. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all I really wanted. Like just put it out there so people can see because this is what I wanted to do with this these years of my life. Wait, did you think you were going to die from Burning Man or from Trump being elected? No, no, no. Uh, from Burning Man. Not necessarily from the Burning Man, but like from the drive there or the back. Or maybe if I'm an idiot and I got dehydrated out in the desert and somebody didn't find me. Whatever. I don't know. Or one of those roaming bands of cannibals got you. Right, right, yeah. right. Because it's a complete wasteland simulator. So exactly coming with the cannibals as well. <laughs> uh, no, so, you know, I didn't think it was a high chance of me dying or else I wouldn't have gone. I thought it was basically minuscule, but non-zero. Higher than if I would have just stayed in my apartment. I didn't mean to get you off off track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is this book has been completed for a while. I've gone over it several times trying to make it as good as I can. Uh, I am releasing it online a chapter at a time if you want to read it. But when this episode comes out, it will be out for pre-order at Amazon.com. There will be a one-month period where you can pre-order it, and then it comes out, and then everyone can buy it. Woohoo! That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats, man. Thank you. That's super exciting. I am very excited by it. Yeah. So I'll put a plug for this story. Inia sent me the original short story. And uh, if you like dark stuff, you should read this. I actually had to stop reading it. <laughs> and you read Worm. And I read Worm. It was pretty dark. Really? It was darker than Worm? I, I don't know if it was darker than Worm, but like it actually disturbed me enough that I had to put it down for a bit. Sweet. <laughs> I can see the gratification in your face. You're like, yes. yeah, I, I got somebody. How happy he is. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, recommended. Cool. Yeah, I like the short version too. I read the first chapter of the long version, and it's not that I... I I wasn't not hooked, but I, my reading bandwidth is terrible because I'm a shit person. So I, I, <laughs> um, I, I spend all my time reading Ward right now. So, mm-hmm. um, but no, it'll be great. Uh, that's really cool. You were thinking of doing an audio too, right? <sighs> I <laughs> not to push you into anything that you don't want to do, but man, I would man. I would listen to it. Okay, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe Stephen would listen to it. That's well, I, I my bandwidth for listening to things is really good. So okay, but. You know, it is a large undertaking, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no doubt. That's really cool. Okay, yeah. What was I going to say about... Oh, 
I might have mentioned this before because you're publishing a chapter at a week, but it wasn't written serially. No, um, no, it was written all at once. I learned that the uh, the Martian was originally written as a serial fiction mm-hmm. online, right. which is like why there's so many like little cliffhanger moments in it, yeah. and that it being then published as a major book and then a major movie was like, um, what's the word, vindicating to like other serial fiction authors. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And he was posting it just on a, uh, a forums. Yeah, it wasn't even like a real like dedicated thing. Yeah. It's so awesome. cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the um, chapter of Time Story will complete sometime in, I think, mid-September. So this will let people get it like two months early if they want. Or, and, you know, also have the whole thing. And also be... You want people to buy it. You're yeah, allowed to I, say it's that. not that I want people to buy it necessarily. It's that I want it to be seen. And like, if a bunch of people buy it on opening week, that's like when Amazon goes, Oh, hey, let's promote this to more people. So, yeah. Have you said the name of it? Oh, I have no. What, <laughs> it's What Lies Dreaming, uh, and it's by me, so by Inyash Brodsky. And uh, you can also find it at whatliesdreaming.com if you want to like read it beforehand or whatever. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. There you go. That is awesome. I'm quite happy. It was, it was, I originally wanted to go through like a traditional publisher, right? And I could not get anyone at all interested in like alternate history, ancient Rome, Lovecraftian horror. They're like, you, you've got to be fucking kidding me. No one, no one's buying alternate history right now, much less Lovecraftian horror alternate history. Yeah. So, uh... I guess it, I don't know enough about the market, but that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, apparently they said the only alternate history that anyone is bothering to publish right now is romance. Because that actually sells. The rest of alternate history is like such a niche thing that publishers don't bother. You well, could make What Lies Dreaming a romance. <laughs> I could, actually. I could. Yeah. I could see it be marketing, marketed as a romance, but also, like... If it contains Lovecraftian monsters, in what sense is it like alternate history? It's well, like, well, it's an alternate history, but like it's alternate history in the same way that like Harry Potter's version of World War II is alternate history, but that wasn't an alternate history book. Yeah, it was. It was a fantasy. Yeah, book. Alternate yeah. history can be like a historical setting with fantasy elements. Yeah, it's like a so what was it? Up, like Lincoln so and zombies. Just pure fantasy. You have to make up your own continent. Yes, forget that. <laughs> and it's got certain <laughs> tropes. It's that called it Second has World too. Fantasy. Yeah, still, yeah, that's what people generally want. If it's just set in the past of our own world, it's some version of alternate history. It's, it's the past of a different version of our world. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the weird thing, because alternate history usually focuses on how history would be different if certain events in it had changed, right. right? And this book does not focus on that at all. It's just, it happens in that time period. That's my understanding of alternate history, too. That's why I, would, I mean, I, I'm not the the people who know these things or define the, the categories, but it didn't... Yeah. If you're calling, you know, what if... Um, you know, JFK survived the assassination. I'm going to write a book about the decade after that. Yeah, that's, that's traditional alternate that's history. Alter- if that's alternate history, in what universe is, you know, hey, it's ancient Rome with a lot of fictional characters who get, you know, there's magic and shit involved. Like that's, those can't be in the same category to me. I I don't know how publishers categorize things. I, but I'm saying they do it wrong. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. But I was, yeah, it, that part, that really sucked for a while. But uh, I got to see what it's like to like commission your own cover artist and have to do all your all the um, you know interior stuff by yourself, and huh. b- hire a cover designer to put it all together. I don't know. It was interesting seeing the full process. I've been on the other side of that, so that's kind of fun. Yeah. The only the only bummer part is that like I do not have the skills or the time to go around to bookstores and get it in bookstores. I don't know who to contact at Barnes Noble, and they wouldn't listen to me anyway. They'd be like, "Yeah, you're Joe Schmo. You know how many Joe Schmos approach us." So uh, you had a thing at the bookstore downtown last year. I did, and I'm probably going to get it stocked in this one. But that's because they're a local bookstore that you know I know the owners. I don't know. I mean, 
this is just my general advice for anything, but you said you wouldn't even know how to get in hold of them. Just Google how to market a book to Barnes Noble and see if there's a phone number to call I'm, or someone an email. To I'm write. really sure they're just going to be annoyed that another guy from not a publishing house is trying to contact them. Maybe everybody thinks that and no one tries and they have like shelves ready oh, for books. Oh, like this. there are so many awesome horror stories about about the the guy who gets contacted by the person who thinks their book is the shit. And when they're turned down, they go on this rant for pages about how you don't know good writing when you see it and all that. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious. I mean, to be fair, that stereotype person is out there in yeah. droves. Yeah. We had like people that uh, when I worked at the library were trying to like bring their own books that they had written and like, hey, can you put this in the library? Yeah. And they're like, no. There were a few that had been like local authors that had actually been published and we were like, absolutely, we'll put you in our like little, we had a little South Jersey history section and... uh that's cool south jersey authors but like yeah then some were like you know some manuscript that they had printed on their printer and it was stapled (laughs) like this is my book and it's like "Mm, we're a very small library we can barely fit the amount of books that we have right now sorry we're not an archive aren't aren't places to donate books books. (laughs) was that a joke that wasn't that was a real question Um, so i shouldn't go to library we're getting we've got like 30 books we're getting rid of i don't so don't take them to the library um well when you bring books to the library to donate generally what happens is they either get um put in like the little free public libraries to be distributed or they get sold in the library's book sale to raise funds for the library but libraries have limited space and they do actually have to stock like they, they run statistics on what gets checked out the most and what people have the most interest in are they gonna make me sit there while they do all this for all my books no, no, they, no. They, they will take the books and be like thank you oh good then, yeah, and then people fine. think they're gonna get stuck on the shelves but generally they are a duplicate of something the library already has or are destined for book sale cool to be given away which they're still still, yeah they're still going to good places um all right that works anyways that's everything that i had thank you guys for indulging me for for what a little while so check out what lies dreaming on amazon in when this episode airs yes i'll I'll have a link in the show description or just you know search for it yourself great yeah that's what lies dreaming uh okay we should go on to our topic yes so last time I gave a quick shout out to the uh, Consolidated Morality Thread. What, I forget the full name now. Consolidated Nature of Morality Thread. Excellent. And uh, you guys were like, hey, this is actually interesting. Why don't we actually talk about it? And I was like, okay. So now we have an episode where we're going to be talking about that. And I'm sorry, I, I sounded more um, bleh about that than I meant to just now. I was. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now I guess we're gonna talk about oh, it. Oh God! You were you more. You're more exasperated that you were like, "Why didn't you say that? We could have done this." And like, <laughs> right, we exactly. still can, and you're like, "We can," and so we're now here. We are. Yes. Yeah. We're doing it. Awesome. I, I was gonna bring on a friend of the podcast, um, Lyric Lee, to uh, be our guest on this, and I was only able to ask her last night, and uh, I phrased it in such a way that didn't come off as like a request to come to the show. And then when I got, when they got back to me this afternoon, it was like, you know, five hours out and there wasn't time, but I had said, Hey, um, I know it's short notice, but we're discussing this post tomorrow and you're the best resource I know to help us navigate it. I thought it was implied. They're like, you should come and help us navigate this. But they wrote us a very long, uh, detailed reply here, which will be nice to go through as much as we can. Um, cause it covers a lot of the, the beats that I think they would have been able to hit in person too. Um, what was I going to say about the other thing on the episode? Oh, I'm the only, one, the only other person who took notes, so thanks, guys. I have my notes in my head. Okay, great. Well, I'm also <laughs> all over the place today, so everyone can enjoy that. I'm getting used to like working at home for 60% of the time, and it turns out when I'm at home and have no distractions, I just like grind for too long, and it really wears me out, huh. which you'd think would be the opposite. Like I'm at home, I can get up and do stuff, I'll go do the dishes, and 
like I don't, I'll run downstairs and like I keep, I drink a ton of water. So I'll like change out water bottles from the fridge mm-hmm. and then I'll see them and like, no, I'll get them later. And so yeah, it's, it's are weird. You, are you on modafinil when you do this? Yeah. I hear the modafinil really makes you hyper-focused. It's not so much that. I, I, I mean, it could be. I'll try less tomorrow. Um, yeah. That's not the problem I have when I work from home. Yeah. I don't know. My, my thing is just like, I, I'm also desperate to like make sure I'm doing things. Like if I'm at work and people can see me trying, it's different. <laughs> if I'm trying at home, they don't even know that I'm doing anything. So and then like, I need you something to think, but your results, <laughs> I need something to work by the end of the day. Oh yeah. That's so kind of interesting. Yeah. I think it'll, it'll level out when I get better at the stuff. So. It sounds like more people should work from home. I think if you have a job that allows it, there's a lot of jobs that you know, you go to the office just to make a presence. Like, you're well, I mean, yeah, if you have, have if to send something in stuff. at the end of the day that, like, is a bug fix or, you know, you've written a new program, uh, you're, you're showing your results. Whereas if you're in an office, you have to just look busy. Yeah, that's the worst. Which is so much of the job. I at my last place going to the office every day with a big company and, like, upper management never is around. So you're, as long as you're, like, in the building, nobody knows or cares where you are. Yeah. So, like, you can be like, well, I, I've been here all day. I'm going to go home now, guys. And, it's it's a whole different environment so i found that being being in an environment uh where you're watched makes uh makes me anyway work slower because when i when i know that i just got to do the thing and then i have my time to read or surf the net or write or whatever yeah I you do, do the thing in 10 minutes right yeah exactly but like when i can't do that because if i'm not working it looks like i'm slacking off i'm like well Gonna be a slow day of very leisurely moving numbers around on spreadsheets. Because it doesn't matter. Control I'm... C. <laughs> move the mouse. Move the mouse. Control V. All right. I Don't want to strain it. any muscles while I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's the adventures from working from home. Not very exciting, but I'm. I'm it's an interesting. It's a different pace for me. So, mm-hmm. and it, it explains. I'm trying to justify why I'm. You know, I'm I'm bracing myself, bracing everybody for my performance here in the next. (laughs) I feel like this part could be cut out for the patrons. Maybe that whole part. (laughs) Or we leave it in for everybody. They all get to hear. I don't know. They all they all deserve an explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if like I don't I don't know if I'm doing so good either. (laughs) It's spreading. The sequences, the anime. Damn it. You're just making things worse for everyone, Steven. (laughs) It'll happen to you too. (laughs) It's infectious. Uh, All right, so diving in. So we, we mentioned that there were 10 kind of bullet points in this thread. And his, his purpose of writing this was saying, you know, I'm going to be start talking about morality stuff later. Rather than get bogged down with all this stuff every time we do a morality-related post, just have that conversation here yeah. and save save the comments a lot of the trouble. I'm not 100% sure what, like, why that should be. I guess not to rehash the same argument over and yeah, over. Yeah, specifically it was uh, distinguishing between moral judgments and factual beliefs. Right. And so he's got 10 kind of brain teasers uh thought experiments and just kind of intuition pumps to try and answer that question or to address that point and uh, he doesn't say this up front but once you get through them you realize they're not unrelated they're like like i think i said last episode they're a stealth takedown of the is ought um dichotomy distinction yeah yeah yeah. well let's 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 get into it okay then all right so the first one it certainly looks like there's an important distinction between a statement like the total loss of human life caused in World War II was roughly 72 million people, and we ought to avoid a repeat of World War II. Anyone who argues that these statements are of the same fundamental kind must explain away the apparent structural differences between them. What are the exact structural differences? So I think this one is pretty easy. The first one is just a statement of fact. This is how many people died. And the second one is a normative statement. Uh, we 
ought to not have. Or we ought to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So when you say normative. Uh, This is a thing that should be. Like, this is where we want to push reality to be like like a prescription yeah so so one's a judgment about this is it basically one's an odd statement and one's one's a reading of nature right yeah yeah so one's a just a statement of a fact a thing that happened and the other one is a like a moral judgment yeah i'm reminded of the uh regulation sequence that we did a while ago where i think the same issue came up uh eliezer had said something like uh if you create these stores that legalize all drugs then some poor Mother of five is going to come in and buy Dr. Snakey's oil for arthritis and die. And people interpreted that as him saying that we should not have that store. Mm-hmm. And that was what that whole post was kind of um, motivated by. Yeah, I, I can I easily see two people hearing the statement. The total loss of human life was 72 million and interpreting it as meaning the same thing as the second statement. That sounds like you're, you're making a negative statement about World War II. And that means that you personally are against World War II. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, what's funny is I agree with you, but I, I guess that to me it's not as obvious as an intuition leap. Like, I mean, if I was on a game show and someone asked me how many, how many people died in World War II and I said 72 million, that's not a prescription of whether, you know, of judgment on that, right? Right. So, it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, I think it depends on the context, though. Like, say uh, somebody had asked you, like, so what do you, what do you think about was World War II just? And if you said, well, the total loss of human life was roughly 72 million in response to that, that would sound like you were arguing with them. Yeah. In fact, it, it that would be like a, that'd be a comeback, right? Or do you, to me, that would be non sequitur. It, yes, and I think it it depends. Like you're you're packing in the value there. Like you know, unless unless they're asking like, so what? It wasn't enough. Or, <laughs> like, um, I think what I, I, I what, think... what they're to read from that is like, oh yeah, he thinks that the the the, the loss of life is unconscionably high. Okay. That's maybe all to cover on that one. We'll move on to the next one. We've I mean, got ten of them. Yeah, so like the way my only one sentence thing on that is like the second statement packs in the first statement as just like a as axiomatically bad, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I like think they're different, but the second one takes like the first one as a premise. Like no, we, ought, we ought not sec- we ought not to re- we ought to avoid repeating World War Two. Why should we do that? Because seventy two million people died. I think the second statement is more sneaking in the assumption that people dying is bad. Hey, let me read a statement too. We experience some of our morals and preferences as being voluntary choices, others as involuntary perceptions. I choose to play on the side of rationality, but I don't think I could choose to believe that death is good any more than I could choose to believe that the sky is green. What psychological factors account for these differences in my perceptions of my own preferences? So I think there, I guess there's a couple things to look at in this one. One are some of our moral preferences are voluntary and others seem like involuntary perceptions. Like maybe we see like babies getting murdered as like involuntarily, like, Oh my God, that's terrible. And others kind of need you to look at it and scratch your head and be like, you're right. We shouldn't be doing that to chickens or something, but it's not as involuntary maybe. Or what, what is there? Or is he saying that I think more... we experience some of our morals that way or our, our perceptions that way. But in fact, that's an illusion. What do you guys think? Um, It sounds like the second thing. I think that the, um, those examples are too easy. I think more like a, I mean, maybe, maybe examples might be like, um, I mean, factory farming and, uh, it's hard for me because I can't think of any moral perception that I think is voluntary. I guess what, you know, when you say moral perception, that's different than moral judgment and even moral judgments aren't voluntary, I guess. Like you look at factory farming and your only, your judgment is like whether or not to live differently based on how you feel about it. Like most people don't look at, at the treatment of animals there and say, you know what? That's great. That's why, that's why I eat beef or something, right? Right. They say, that sucks, 
but beef's super cheap and I like it. So, um, most people, some people might. That sounds, I mean, to me, that sounds like a moral trade-off. The part where they say that sucks is the moral judgment. Like I'm looking at an animal suffering and I think that is bad. Yeah, I guess that's where I got got held up though, because like I don't I don't get to choose what I think is is right and wrong. Yeah. You know? Um, I sort of like get these. I my consciousness and my my sense of moral scope is is broadened, and then I realize that new things are in my sense of moral scope, and then it's more just like how do I want to change my life to acknowledge that information, hmm. and sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's very little. So, this is kind of like debating the nature of free will. I mean, I I want to say that. Yeah, some of your, you know, moral intuitions come from your upbringing, from instincts that you have as a evolved animal, and then like, but some of it you choose yourself, right? Can you give me an example? I mean, say that you were raised a uh, Catholic and then became an atheist, and now your kind of moral considerations have shifted. Well, I I was raised a fundamentalist and I became an atheist, and I, none of that felt voluntary to me at all. Hmm. I was vegetarian for like four years or six, I forget. And my family definitely isn't. They gave me a lot of shit about it. Um, not like because they're mean, just because they're whatever. Sure. Um, <laughs> however it worked out. Um, Stop being morally superior to us, Stephen. <laughs> that might have been it. But I don't think my they would upbringing... say it that way. They would say, "Stop thinking you're morally superior to us <laughs> without actually being so." Right. Oh, if they acknowledge that I was morally superior, then they would have to feel bad about it. I definitely think that vegetarians are morally superior to me. Do but, you? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I think so too. But and we're, they're obviously we're right. And we're also not giving vegetarian shit about their choice, right? No, but, I think that they're very admirable people. Exactly, but I think what you're saying is that if we were mocking them about it, it'd probably be because we thought that they we we actually thought we that they were better than us. They thought they were better than us, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was a decision that I wasn't like wasn't part of my upbringing, part of my taking philosophy classes in college and reading one Peter Singer essay, and I was like, oh shit, I'm a vegetarian now. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you can choose to expose yourself to certain things or not to expose yourself to them but once you see those things i'm not sure you have like a choice in the matter yeah there's not putting a cat bat in the back in the bag for a lot of people i mean i've heard people no i mean like my sister saw all the same things that i did and she's still christian and i'm an atheist yeah that's more of a i mean not to like say that there's no moral implications of one's religiosity but that's different than like a i, I wouldn't say like being an unbeliever is like necessarily more morally desirable than being a, a religious person. Well, but like, you don't it's think based on like what you do. You don't think she made the intentional choice to stay Christian though, right? Um, I think she did. I think a lot of people do after a certain point. Um, and so it was probably harder. Believe? I don't know. Okay, uh, I can't read people's minds, but like right. my intuition is that before there was like pretty solid proof. Or at least, like, very strong evidence that there is no God. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence for God. It was pretty easy to believe. And now I feel like it actually, like, requires you make the quote-unquote leap of faith. After you, you know, hit puberty or whatever, you get to a certain point and, like, you start learning about science and realizing that, like, magic does not seem to exist anywhere in the world. Yeah, but it's, I mean, this isn't that new of a thing. The ancient Greeks were talking about how gods don't actually exist. Um, I mean, some of them, it's people have been noticing that there's no evidence for gods for a long time. I think what it but is, lots is, of people believe anyway. Some people like, and just said, you can't read her mind. And that makes sense. Like it, it's not clear that she can read her mind on this, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know the difference between like belief and belief and actual believing. Yeah. I mean, they, they have no compunctions about what yeah called the leap of faith where they're just like i'm just gonna keep believing it and i don't know what that means and i don't think any of us are equipped 
now I remember know what that means. I remember being a child and like it not feeling different. Um, what do I mean by that? I was like basically, you know, I was raised Catholic, but I definitely compartmentalized it even as a really young kid between these are like the stories I'm told and this is what I, you know, am supposed to believe is true and then here's what I'm actually observing. Mm-hmm. But your like software is running so hard on modeling the other people around you that you actually believe what they say you should believe so you can conform really good. Yeah. I like remember being a kid and I, I think like if I, you know, went back to that headspace now, I could actually probably like look at my own thoughts and beliefs and be like, huh, that's really interesting. I noticed that I'm confused that my expectations for what is going to happen when I run around in reality and interact with physics are different than my expectations about like what I'm supposed to believe. Well, I mean, if everyone in your tribe is running away as fast as they can from something, there's probably a good reason, right? Yeah. So you're going to do that too, and, and you're you also going to be scared, <laughs> even though you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, your nervous system should react, and you shouldn't just sit there thinking, okay, they're all running, but... <laughs> Has anyone seen Does like that... Does that mean I need to run? Have you guys seen that like two-minute comedy sketch of that guy jogging, like walking in the park, and he does, like, doesn't know jogging is a thing, apparently, because he sees people jogging by, and he's kind of like looking at them running, and then he's looking back at where they're running from, and he kind of goes running the same way they were going, <laughs> and then that keeps happening, and then like two joggers go by in different directions, and he's kind of just freaking out, doesn't know where to go. I have not seen that. It was, it was funny. So I we, guess what I'm saying with number two is that I disagree that there's some moral beliefs that are voluntary choices. So he's not saying that some are and some aren't. He's saying that we experience them that way. So are there any that you experience as voluntary choices? Because I don't, I don't really think I do either. I, I don't know. I think I absolutely experience becoming an atheist as a voluntary choice. But I just, what I was saying about free will is I don't know that I believe that it really was a voluntary choice. Okay. You know, like people are born with their personality types and I had like a very high openness and I guess my sister had a high conformity. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know anywhere that I'm at now that I felt like I decided to get there. Um, it's more just like either i was like oh i guess that's the way to go and i went there or i pushed that way and just you know by mountains of of argument or evidence or something right yeah i can't remember and i and i don't think i could decide to push back at this point and say no i forget it i'm going to change my mind on the moral salience of animals or something um so that's that's the next part of the post is like i don't think that i could choose to believe death is good any more than i could choose to believe the sky is green i think if we read point number three this might clarify a little bit with what he was saying cool Inuyasha, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, forgot that it was my turn. At a relatively young age, children begin to believe that while the teacher can make it all right to stand on your chair by giving permission, the teacher cannot make it all right to steal from someone else's backpack. I can't recall the exact citation. Do young children in a religious environment believe that God can make it all right to steal from someone's backpack? And I think that's where he was going, that maybe the, the, the rules-based morality, uh, the rule giver can make something morally true or not true well i think to me the difference there is that there's not a moral statement about standing on your desk like no one's hurt or anything right you're not damaging somebody or something well you're damaging the desk maybe but whatever i guess as a as a young kid though if i didn't know what morality was yet if the teacher told me it was wrong then i might believe that it was wrong interesting i guess i don't remember being a kid that much yeah so (laughs) they didn't say this is morally bad and you shouldn't do it they just said don't because it's wrong and like as a kid you might you often don't even get the because it's wrong part you just say don't "Don't." yeah Yeah. and which is how i remember being told not to stand on desks was don't not you shouldn't because it's bad yeah yeah um whereas like if i had taken somebody from something they might say don't you shouldn't steal because that's bad right right um maybe yeah i guess the fact that it's dealing with kids kind of takes away some of that although 
I do think that there's been questions asked about this sort of thing, whether it be like in Jonathan Haidt's book or um, uh, maybe Paul Bloom, anyone who's written on like child psychology and morality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is definitely a question that's certainly been asked by somebody. So if anyone Googles it and finds out, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, I think as to the second part, do they believe that God can make it all right to steal from someone's backpack? I, yeah, I think so. People believe that God can make it okay to kill people. Some adults certainly say that they believe that, right? So yeah. it has to. It seems to follow that kids would think that way too, unless kids are like more morally pure or something. I don't think so. No, don't there's think so, so many stories in the Bible about God asking people to just do buck wild things. Yeah, and in most of them, he doesn't, you know, change his mind partway through and say it was a test or something. He right. just says, "Go ahead and set your daughter on fire for me." So, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, if. I, I also don't know what to make the adults who say that if God came down tomorrow and said it's great to rape and hurt people, that I would then go forth and feel it's my obligation to do it. I don't I don't know if they're serious yeah. or like if they really believe that because I, I don't believe anyone doesn't do something because it says not to in the Bible. Um, maybe some people do. And let me rephrase that then. I don't think any significant number of people are running around not murdering people because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Right. They're not they're not doing it because they don't want to go to prison and because they don't want to kill people. And it's mainly the second one, right? I uh, think a lot of it is just the social environment. It's not because the Bible says not to kill people. It's because their pastor and their neighbors and everyone in their community says don't kill people. Uh, and sure, they use the Bible as a backing for that. But the Bible has lots of things it says in there that the rest of their community is not enforcing, like don't eat shellfish. Yeah, so, but what about um, gay people in the Bible Belt who don't have sex with other gay people because they feel horrible guilt? I think... Well, yeah, but I think that was inculcated into them by their culture. Everyone's saying that this is wrong, this is bad. This yeah, but they're saying it be- because it was from the Bible, though. Yeah, well, but there's lots of other things that their culture ignores that are in the Bible. So I think, I, I think the, the Bible is a, a proximate... Is the term proximate cause? Shit, now I don't know my vocabulary. Uh, I think that sounds right. What you're saying is that it's they're not they're not ashamed and, and burdened by their, their cause of homosexuality because it's in the bible they're burdened by their society yes and just their society like, is like no, based no, on the bible so. no one's up at night because they're wearing woven fabrics or eating shellfish right yeah, yeah. um and, and that's the society all. is fucked up because of the bible there's some things it chose not to ignore which is stupid but it's society is the ultimate enforcer of these things right on is my opinion so what do you make of the difference between the kids thinking that it's all right or the kids thinking that it's not all right for the teacher to make it all right to steal from a kid's backpack but thinking that it is all right if God does. I think that's just the kids noticing that their teacher is not all of society. Uh, can you explain that more? Well, the the teacher is imbued by society with the power to say standing on your desk is wrong. But society will not go so far as to... Make, the kid does not believe society would go so far as to back up the teacher if they were to say taking stealing from other people's backpacks is wrong. Okay, so the kids understand that society is stronger than the one teacher... I, in some respects, yeah, I think they they yeah, correctly intuit that no one gives two fucks about the rules the teachers make about standing or not standing on the desk, but that other that there would be greater repercussions if the teacher started making rules about stealing. That, that may contradicted everyone. That might make sense if I remember being a child at all. It would be my my reasoning might have been something like, I'm not afraid that my parents are going to be mad because I did something bad. They're gonna be they're gonna be mad because the teacher got mad at me because I disobeyed an order from the teacher, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, whereas they might be disappointed in me if I stole from somebody's backpack. Mm-hmm. All right. And as a kid, that's like your society, right. <laughs> your classroom, and your parents. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but if the studies did indeed show that, that would be my intuition, that it feels like a moral fact of the universe because that's what being, you know, taught morals by our society feels like, but that ultimately it's not obviously because they are as a moral fact of the universe. It's something else. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen, four? All right. Both human... Excuse me. Both individual human beings and civilizations appear to change at least some of their moral beliefs over the course of time. Some of these changes are experienced as decisions, and others are experienced as discoveries. Is there a systematic distinction to at least some of these changes? And how does this systematic decision? Excuse me. How does this systematic direction arise causally? So these aren't five questions. These are five jumping-off points, right? So, or excuse me, ten. There's, so there's there's a lot in here. Um, so. I that's guess why take... I said it's going to be a whole episode. Okay, that's great. So, no. what are some examples of discoveries versus decisions? Yes, that's what I wanted to ask. I... So, society might have made a decision about like ending slavery or desegregating schools. Yeah, um, that was like that. I guess maybe the discovery came first. Maybe that has. Maybe that's how it, the order that it usually happens in. Maybe that's partly how these things causally arise. Is that the discovery that you can use slaves, or the discovery that that slavery is wrong? You, that slavery is wrong. Okay. That or or in the case of you know um, the the nineteen sixties, you know, desegregating schools turns out, oh, you know what, that is a bad thing. And then it took some some arguing and some uh, some social demonstrations to to pass legislation to make that uh, changed, right? Yeah. But it seems like the discovery co comes before the the decision. Isn't the real discovery in quotes here uh that all humans are of equal moral worth on on the outset i, I want to say all men are created equal but uh, that's problematic nowadays both because of the men and because of the created part but to to take older phrasing isn't the discovery all men are created equal well i think and then the decision is to like well now that we've discovered that we can't have slaves anymore because what the fuck guys okay i was thinking about it in terms of um, agriculture being a discovery mm -hmm. and yeah something like uh, the decision to desegregate schools being a decision right because we have been doing things this one way but we debated about it people changed their minds and now we realize this is bad so we're gonna do it this other way whereas like with the discovery that you can do agriculture it's so just are there any moral discoveries then under that paradigm i think it i, I was thinking of a slightly different direction where like you discover so like to take the all men are created equal example, that had a narrow, very narrow definition when it was first uttered, right? Which one? All men are created equal. Oh, okay, yeah. So it was that, you know, oh, in this context, women are men too. Oh, and black people are men too. Mm -hmm. And so people, or, you know, you could say humans are created equal instead of men, make the quote less less uh, annoying. Um, humans evolved equal. <laughs> yes. Um, and then if you, if you make it more generic, and that's sort of, I think the the direction of of causal or of of um, uh, moral progress is that the the moral horizon keeps going up or keeps 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 expanding, right? I would argue so, with that. Well, I think part of it is like you realize that there's so it goes from like men, which is like white landowning slave owners, yeah. to you know the rest of white men, to the rest of white men, including some of these immigrants, then women, etc. Yeah. And it's so it, it's getting expanded. And yeah, then but there's it, ways in which it's shrunk too. Well, look, to finish my thing, really, to to get where I'm going is so you quit saying man, you start saying person, and then you can kind of say sentient being, and then you realize like, okay, well, if I'm not just caring about my fellow my fellow men, I'm caring about my fellow humans and my fellow, oh, I guess you know people, you know uh, maybe chimps and and elephants and you know sentient beings. Okay, well that that broadens it to basically everything that's alive, right? Hmm. So, um, 
in that sense, that seems the direction that it happened, at least historically, right? Whether or not that's the way that it felt like going from then to now is different. But what, what was your thought? Oh, well, I mean, I think there's some entities that we don't consider important anymore that we used to. Like what? Like real entities? Well. I, I was guessing that you're going to say like gods or something, right? Yeah. And they, I mean, gods is obviously a big one. Uh, people who are not alive anymore, I think, is a pretty big one, too. Mm. That used to be a much greater concern of people in the past that they, if something were to dishonor the memory of, of one of their ancestors or their loved ones, that was like really important to them. Whereas nowadays we're like, well, they're dead. That's interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. So like the scope of harm maybe was, was more refined there. Like on the one hand, I, I don't burn a lot of uh, concern over like the leprechauns I step on going to and from my car. Right. Yeah. So, um, if, if my ancestors thought there were leprechauns that they were stepping on, then, you know, they were worried about it. That's that's their own problem. So, um, but the, the other part about ancestors, yeah. So I, I'm torn on that. Like, on the one hand, you know, we talked about um, years ago with Katrina, like about harming dead people. Mm-hmm. And I could go to your grave and like, you know, pull at your skeleton and set it on fire. Like, I'm not harming you. You're dead. It's right. so like, in that sense, it's pointless. Yeah. But in the sense of like, um, I wish I'd said this at the time. I might have mentioned this, mentioned this in the air before. But like, if Katrina had died, and like, so if I desecrate her corpse, I'm not harming her. But if I put a bunch of child porn on her computer and a bunch of human meat in her fridge, I I've, I've harmed her reputation, right? Yeah. And somebody might take uh, offense at that, right? Mm-hmm. To put it mildly, I th- and I think they'd be kind of right to do so. I'm, I'm ruining all that's left of this person by destroying the, what's their their legacy. And even even if you aren't destroying their legacy directly, doing something like supporting like if i was dead and my children in assuming i had any uh were to start passing to bring it back to their last episode uh anti-abortion legislation that i would hope that at least they would think this this would really piss off Inesh. this is this is harming the memory of what he would want you know yeah, yeah. and i think you know when it, the only time i can think of anyone saying it like you know fighting for your ancestors is like you know viking norse you know thor stuff mm. And I think that used you know, to be a much bigger deal. Yeah. But to make your ancestors proud was less about like, maybe it was like you actually thought that they were up there caring about this, but it might be more like, you know, they didn't fight to, you know, keep Scotland independent. And I'm not talking about Vikings anymore. Yeah. Only yeah. for me to give it up. Right. Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to piss on their sacrifice by giving this in. The people didn't fight Hitler in world war two, just so that we could censor the fuck out of everyone now and bur- start burning books and shit. Right. Or have Nazis now or have Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Yeah. So, um and i mean those were the two that i came up with Gorn, i think did a much deeper dive and uh at one point which i was like oh that's cool and uh he pointed out that people used to have much more revere uh reverence for objects like you could actually harm a forest or harm a river and that was a morally bad thing uh in in some cultures japan even as little as a hundred years ago i think um the you know leading religion in japan is shintoism which still has that kind of reverence for objects yeah and that was that is another thing that at least in the western society we have drastically gotten away from like you can't really nowadays hurt a book by burning it i think we still have reverence for religious objects people get really upset if you burn a bible or desecrate one of the uh communion hosts yeah there is i guess some special exceptions there was for the most part at my first tam there was somebody who gave a presentation I want to say it was Massimo Piglucci, but it doesn't sound like his field, so I'm not sure who it was. But, um, and I think that the, the well, what they found was that people they would like, hey, you know, uh, thought experiment. I'd give you a hundred bucks. You give me your wedding ring, 
and right. I'll duplicate it and give you the copy. And I'll, I'll make it, you know, like a Star Trek multiplier thing. Just give you the backup. Mm-hmm. And like in the thought experiment, people would be like, I don't want to do that. Like, this is mine. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, I mean, it's it's my whatever ima- magic imbued essentialism to it, right? Yeah. And he's like, it turns out this finding wasn't that sharply diminished, if at all, in the secular community as it was in the religious community. Um, so people still like care about like the original version of their thing yeah. Yeah, people definitely form attachments to objects yeah and whether like, or not it's the same level of reverence yeah uh, it certainly it certainly can't be punished well i guess you can be punished by law in in some way for damaging someone's property and i mean if you're, if you're throwing a fit over a burnt quran or a burnt bible you're not doing it because it was your favorite copy of that book <laughs> right you know and it was you know unless it was like the one that your family's passed down for generations or something but if it was just one you saw on tv you're doing it because you think that there's you think that you're doing actual harm that like the creator of the universe is now pissed at you know us or something right but like no one here would put someone's way a friend losing an arm versus uh a picasso painting being burned up right as in like one's worse like because one no one here would choose yeah i want my friend to lose their arm rather than this painting being burned yeah totally maybe like an art historian be an art historian but i would call that person a bad person that's not a good friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly whereas more in the past that would have been a much bigger deal interesting all right that's that's something to think about yeah i think we're got off topic though what were was this about um decisions and discoveries oh right yeah so what's what's the difference i guess I, like i said i think the decision is when you when you make the choice to implement what you found through through your moral introspection or broadening your horizons or something, right? So be, from the inside, a moral change always feels like a discovery? I think so. Yeah. Certainly on the scale of a lifetime, maybe not on the scale of a society. Because that's how it's felt for me. It's me, I'll read something or I'll, um, I'll come to a realization and I'll be like, oh, that's how I should be doing things. I think this goes hand in hand with how whether or not you feel that you have a choice in your moral intuitions. Like, I, I think both of us said we don't feel... Did you say this too, Jess? That we don't feel like we have any choice in in our moral beliefs. No, I. Like, and that's why they feel like discoveries. I, I made the distinction that I, I I feel like I have a choice, but I think that I don't actually have a choice. Right, right, right. The old free will thing. Yeah. yeah. I think most people probably feel like they do have a choice. I mean, because we feel like we have a choice over everything we do. We don't feel like we have a choice over what we believe, though. We feel like we have a choice if we drink tea or coffee, but not if we. Um, we should get some neurotypical people to ask on this. Mm. <laughs> like, do you have a choice to believe the sky is blue? Where's neurotypical Karen when you need her? <laughs> right. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that on. Like, this was actually, I can't remember the full. Yes, I do. Well, it was me and a friend were debate. You know, this was like the quintessential, like hipster coffee shop with a bookstore in it. And me and this guy were sitting around debating philosophy for like 30 minutes. And uh, Rachel was sitting there. She's bored and she'd wander around the bookstore and she came back and we're talking about, justice or fairness or something about like returning you know the whole socrates example of like is it just to return someone's axe if you've barred it well of course that's justice well what if they're gonna murder somebody with it well then no of course not <laughs> and so we were like going back and forth like well what if we were sure they're gonna kill somebody with it or kill themselves with it or something and then rachel's like on her phone or something she's just like without looking up she's just like i would just call the cops and i'm like <laughs> That's a very good answer, and it was very grounding, because like, we're getting so esoteric about this with all this mind-reading <laughs> bullshit. She was like, why don't you just do like the thing that makes actual sense? And I'm like, that's that's a really good point. So to, to challenge, or to do my best to put on her hat here, um, like you don't you don't decide that you're, you know, you look at your, your hand, like you don't decide that there's five fingers, and or five digits, whatever, if you're going to be pedantic, 
Um, if you look at my hand, right, or that I'm wearing a ring, like you don't you don't get to decide that you you don't get to decide. I'm going to choose to believe he's not wearing one, even though I can see it. So like, in some sense, moral are, are moral discoveries like that, or are they like something else? I think is the question, right? Like, I'm just going to decide that slavery is a bad thing. Yeah, or could you decide it's a good thing? Right. What if somebody's just really torn up about it, and then they like spend a very long time researching? And pondering, and then they come to a decision. Well, you spend a really long time researching and pondering about the physical laws of the universe, too, but you don't come to a decision of what they are. You come to a dis discover what they are. And I you think, think those are equivalent? Uh, I think that they feel equivalent, at any rate. We might we might be hitting this as hard as we can for now. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think I, we haven't resolved it, but we might be, I, if we want We've to We've run out of words to say on it. Um, we did, I think there at least was... Uh, I touched on how I think this, the systematic direction arises causally. Um, and is there, well, I guess, what do you guys think? Is there a systematic direction that these have been moving in that discovery or decisions of, of morality? So I gave my answer a while ago. Yeah. I think that as society has become richer and more convenient, uh, everything has become much less restrictive because we have the luxury to be who we actually want to be. So in that in that respect, yes, but that's because we are rich now as a people, and uh, we can afford to to indulge in those things. We can afford to live morally, but maybe like you could be a philosophical vegetarian, you know, seven hundred years ago. But you're mm -hmm. like, if only no, I didn't. There were philosophical vegetarians, yeah, right, and they, they had the luxury of having enough like vegetation to eat. But you could be like a farmer or whatever, some peasant, and you're like, I wish I didn't have to kill and eat these animals, but I'm hungry and there's no other food around. So mm -hmm. like you're just you there's the difference between like having the moral judgment and then being able to live by the implications of that judgment and that can be driven by circumstance yeah right? like my help my nice whatever nicely sourced food budget goes down when i you know made less money right so well i i don't think it's a coincidence that the richer a area or society gets the more liberal it gets and yeah and also conversely, you know, the poorer an area is, the more conservative it is. Well, I think uh, the farmer from your example, Stephen, probably doesn't actually have the time to sit there and, like, think about whether or not eating meat is ethical. Maybe right. he heard the argument once and was convinced by it. I mean, like, and now we're stretching the thought experiment. But I, I guess I'm saying is that it, it's, it's possible for me, like, to buy unethically sourced food because I'm making 10 bucks an hour. And I'm like, I sure wish I didn't have to buy cheap, you know... Uh, harmly sourced food to to sustain myself and yes through a ton of extra work i could probably make stretch my ten dollars to buy you know nicer sourced food but i just don't have the other resources to do that like time and energy um but then when the resources open up you can right mm -hmm. so it's that kind of the the slack to have the freedom to do those things yeah i think the slack is exactly what i was trying to describe like the, not only the ability to actually afford to eat vegetarian but like the the time and I guess the education. That works. Okay. All right. We'll move on. I think you're up next, Jess. Yeah. Suppose I involuntarily administered oh, wait. to you. We're on number five. Sorry. Whoops. To paraphrase Alfred Tarski, the statement, my car is painted green, is true if and only if my car is painted green. Similarly, someone might try to get away with asserting the statement, human deaths are bad, is true if and only if human deaths are bad. Is this valid? <laughs> Okay, well, as the guy with the blog called Death is Bad, I think this is absolutely valid. 
And I think that it is true that human deaths are bad. So the the next obvious thing here to point at is like I can point to my green car. My mm-hmm. car is actually some shade of green, mm-hmm. but I can't point to death being bad anywhere. No, you cannot. Uh, but you can point to the fact that there is no intrinsic value anywhere in the universe. That things are only valued in as much as people value them. And if you remove people, you remove all sorts of value. But I don't remove the greenness of my car. Right. So if you're removing value and the ability for things to have value, that's a bad thing. So don't get wrong, I agree with you, but I can see how this this doesn't sound convincing. Okay. Right? Well I like with without something to place value on stuff, then you don't have any value at all. So destroying that is just I don't want to say no, I'm not gonna say that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, so I won't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I I don't know how else to put it aside from that. You know, if the only things that can give things value are destroyed, then value has been destroyed. So you're both kind of making an observer argument. Well, I think I'm being more uh, facetious about my observing than you are. And yeah. don't wrong. I think you're right. It's just like the difference that someone might might attest to, and he brings up math later, which is a great thing, because I can't point to 2 plus 2 equaling 4 anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I can, I guess, grab two things and grab two other things and put them together, and we can call those things four things, right. but... But that's also something that only exists in the head of a, a being that can comprehend it. Yeah, I mean, if you got a colorblind person and you said, look, my car is green... I mean, so we could do digits again in my hand or something, right? <laughs> um, I, the, the, I guess the difference is that, like, there's, there's facts of... There's objective facts about nature, mm-hmm. and then there's subjective facts about what it's like to experience things and death is bad because it makes us all sad. It cuts off the person's subjective ability to go on and do things mm-hmm. um, and their actual ability to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I guess I'm just trying to take this from the point of view of someone who doesn't agree with it. And I, why I wouldn't find that like there seems to be a step missing and like the, the justifying the leap between like uh, pointing at stuff and pointing at uh, subjective perceptions whether it's value judgments or something else right well okay to be fair in not 100 percent of cases do i think all death is always bad uh there are some times where people genuinely want to die and uh i remember the the suicide twins story from sweden i think 10 years ago with these just two blind badly disabled chronically depressed twins who really it looked like they had nothing to live for. I would never make that judgment for someone. But for them, life was awful. They said it was awful. They wanted to die. And they eventually managed to... Uh, to have, I believe it was doctor-assisted suicide. Um, and that's very sad. But I would not want to force anyone to live if they don't want to live. I wouldn't want to force them to live. But I feel like the idea of death is bad isn't just saying that like... If the earth stayed the same way it was today, but we got rid of death, that would be great. Like, the sentiment, I think, is they wouldn't have wanted to die if they hadn't been born Yeah. Um, in horrible pain or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People generally don't want to die if they're not, like, if they don't have major depressive disorder or... Right. And, and so that's... Death is bad in almost exclusively because people don't want to die. And that is... I mean, like I said... People are what give things value. So if everybody wants to live, then dying is bad. And there's some very rare exceptions where people may legitimately want to not live anymore. And I would really encourage them to find other ways to 
to deal with that than killing themselves because lots of times it turns out life actually does get better there are things you can do um but in some case i can see how death might not be bad in very rare exceptions but uh again that's why i'm saying without people there is nothing at all because people have to want to not die to make death bad if this all comes back down to the whole idea of either desire utilitarianism is what alonzo fife called it uh preference utilitarianism is what some people call it like wanting something makes it either good or bad yeah I i'm so add... inspired right now <laughs> that was good I, I would add the, the caveat you know the those conjoined twins or whatever that were in pain like they presumably would have wanted that fixed before they wanted to die right and they look around there's like no, there's no way to fix this and so i would say that for anyone you know in any situation where it's like i'd, I'd rather die than have this like well can you solve this in any other way yeah. and sometimes the answer is no unfortunately but i think more often than not the answer is yes or at least there's a way to like get by with it yeah. um and then hold on long enough for technology to catch up to where you need it to be or at least try to but uh yeah i guess what i'm saying is that i i if, if somebody sounds like they're of sound moral mind and they're like well i want to kill myself i feel like life sucks i would say like that sounds like a symptom of depression mm-hmm. and like you're you're saying that this is like the most rational decision you can come to right now you wouldn't feel that way if you were psychologically healthy yeah. you should try and get there first and see if you still feel this way so it sounds like uh the point of this one was that the car being painted green is a measurable fact about the universe which exists mm-hmm. and human deaths being bad is true to humans yeah it's a measurable fact that people don't want to die cool yeah but i mean like you have to still define the word bad there okay it's bad in that we don't want it yeah like the universe doesn't care if humans die no no unfortunately <laughs> it'd be a really nice universe if it did yeah anyway uh Inuyash. Sounds, like, sounds, like, sounds like we're delving into theological territory with that last one we are yes uh i was gonna say we should just keep going because that'd be a whole new episode well in one sentence that was one of the things that one of the things that drove me away from religion was as a kid i was like the world wouldn't look the universe wouldn't look like this if it was built from scratch by somebody who just built the earth right? oh hell no like, why would it be like a little like marble flying through space that's gigantic it would be like this like infinite flat plane or you know oh like, you mean just like the physical structure i read a lot of biology books when i was a kid <laughs> that too i like, didn't read biology books but that's life that, is I read horrifying those as a teenager, and yeah mm-hmm. um but it was so, yeah, it was like looking around at nature, like this is, it doesn't make any sense. But of course, you know, the mind of God is incomprehensible or something. I'm like, this, the universe clearly doesn't care if bad things happen to good people. So, or to people at all. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's not, it was really just as like a, like a 10 year old coming across like the problem of evil and like having realized like, oh, a t- theology hasn't answered a 10 year old's question. Yeah. So but, I mean, the universe makes much more sense if the earth is the center of the universe and probably the largest thing in it, you know, it's kind of, kind of nonsensical that god would care about this little speck or make the speck for some reason have you seen that like stretched out like panel by panel of the you know like here's the earth and then here's the solar system mm-hmm. here's the pla- here's the galaxy here's it the mega cluster 10 times a zoom every time right well this one's just uh captioned pictures oh okay, okay and then it goes all the way out yeah to the observable universe and then the last picture is jesus standing over it saying don't masturbate <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> Okay. All right. So now six. Yeah. Suppose I involuntarily admin involuntarily administer to you a potion that would cause you to believe that human deaths were good. Afterward, would you truly believe that human deaths were good, or would you believe falsely that human deaths were good? I don't know. What, I don't know what it means to believe something falsely. Um, well, if, like to have a wrong belief is it right? Yeah. 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 I, I think your car is blue, even though it's actually green. Right. So if I gave you a potion that made you think my car is blue. 
Would you believe? You would truly believe that, but you'd be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, let's define. You let's define you though. Um, if I took a snapshot of Eniash's brain state right before he received that potion, that would be Eniash, right? Mm-hmm. And the other would be something had altered Eniash against his preferences. Yeah, but I even though I would believe that deaths are good, uh, I would be wrong about that. So I would believe it falsely. Yeah, and then I guess it depends on the definition of Eniash there. I would define you as the snapshot that I took before you received that potion. Aw. You probably would, you would too. consider this like sub-Eniash? Eniash beta? You'd be poisoned huh? Eniash. Or okay. potioned Eniash, right? Yeah, I'd yeah. be Eniash from the darkest timeline. Now, the thing that's like awkward about that is that you can take a snapshot at us from any point in our lives, and we're going to have change through external forces. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch definition of you, I guess. But I still think I endorse that definition of you, the unaltered one. Although, I don't know. Say you got bit by some kind of parasite that also changed your personality. If I got bit by that parasite that makes me unable to eat meat physically. Yeah. Or just makes it repugnant to you or something. I mean, that that also changed you. Yeah. I I meant more like one that changes your personality, not your dietary habits. Although, that could change your personality. But that happens all the time, right? Like, I ver- I identify very little with myself of 15 years ago. So, like, mm-hmm. since that kid was an asshole, I don't really, like, worry a lot about the things that he did. Um, it's so, weird how like, much I've changed since 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I frankly, I think it's good. And I, I realized when I was, like, 21 or 20, right around, like, I was coming on, like, full sentience as, like, a human. Mm-hmm. And, like, I thought that, like, I had, like, woken up a few times before that. And at this point, I was like, oh, no. This is just going to keep happening. <laughs> and so, like, in, in, in a few years, I'm going to feel the same way, like, about my younger self, at, of t- me realizing this now, as I feel about myself five years ago. And I was also correct then, assuming that I would feel actually, like, that same, like a similar distance, but less, like, I guess, emotional dis- disconnect from that person. Because at least that person was, like, awake enough to, like, see that future person existed. So do you think intergenerational conflict is inevitable? Uh, I think that's a s- complete curveball um, like, <laughs> well because people change as they get older uh will there always be conflict between older people and younger people oh i thought you meant would like be like through generations would a conflict go on like i i was thinking from like you know younger self to older self and then you were like well what about generations like that's different people i see what you're saying i think the way we are now yes um transhumanist future us would still you know have to go from baby to adolescent to 21 but after that point um I feel like if we, and, and then even maybe we don't necessarily have to grow that way. I think there probably is some process where you have to build on experiences and actually grow neurons, but I don't know. But um, once you reach like full adulthood, then you could just kind of download all the information in the universe. Well, even if we maybe just... like train yourself like the matrix on all like past experiences of human. Like, I, I feel like there, there's going to be like maybe something that's going to, because like a lot of intergenerational conflict is say elderly people um, aren't tech savvy anymore. And they're going to be overtaken by younger tech savvy people, but that's not like if their brains were still operating on the high levels of openness and yeah. <laughs> flexibility and whatnot that they had in their youth, and they had the drive to learn technology, they could do it. But if everyone all downloaded every experience that happened, we'd all be the same person. Well, with I guess a different backstory, maybe you didn't maybe you weren't allowed to upload till you were hundred, but I think you could make it even less. Well, then like, everyone over hundred would be the same person. Well, but you'd have the the different prior hundred years right so like no you wouldn't because now everybody else in the world also has your prior hundred years oh yeah well so that yeah we can make it even easier than that right what if we just lived to be fifty thousand years old right and everything else stayed the same for sake of the argument right and like there's 
if you knew somebody who was, you know, in junior high dating somebody who was in college, mm-hmm. like that was gross. Like that was like a seven year difference or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of psychological distance between like a 14 year old and a 20 year old. Yeah. Um, even though it's six years. Mm-hmm. And yet an 11,000 year old person dating a 10,000 year old person, like a thousand years is a lot more years. Mm-hmm. But there, I, I imagine there's a lot less psychological distance between those, between those two people. I don't know, man. You don't, I, you don't grant, know what happens in we, a thousand years. We, we haven't run it. But Dude, like, I could, like maybe 40,000 year old me would be like... God, I hate 30K me. I have to undo all my old stupid policies. Right. Well, I guess if I, I could go back in time and assassinate someone, I would assassinate me. Yeah. I, I can relate that like with, with rural examples of like, I knew a friend whose parents met, uh, well, I made the joke that they met in high school, but they didn't because one was 15 years older than the other. Okay. And so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So, um, you know, if, if you're 55 and you're married to a 40 year old mm. um, and you met when you were, you know, say two years younger than that or something, that's not that's not nearly as like frowned upon by society or like frankly bizarre and uncomfortable as like a twenty year old dating or a twenty year old dating a thirteen year old right 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 but so, it's still it's still significant but like you're both a, yeah it's significant but I feel like it's less significant like you're both adults yeah your and, brain matures after a certain age yeah yeah so, like, but I've, I've and then it people, kind of stops developing I've dated yeah, I mean it doesn't both but... six years younger than me and six years older than me and it actually I think seven eight years older than me. It actually makes enough of a difference in life experience that you notice. You're like, this is this is kind of you notice, but it's not insurmountable to like at least have a relationship or to have a try at one. Yeah, like yeah, it, it may, yeah maybe true. you could even just be friends. Like if I was 20 and I had 13 year olds who were like my friends that I called and chatted with, that'd be super. Like, what do I have in common with a 13 year old at 20? I maybe mean, both are interrationality, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I, I talked with a lot of 20 year olds when I was 13 about like atheism and computer tech and all sorts of crazy shit. All right, you, you bonded over your interests. And st- I guess yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, like, if I went over to their house and hung out, I don't know. It just seems like there's something weird about that and not doing, like, we're 10 years apart, nine, mm-hmm. nine or 10. Yeah. Like, and this doesn't seem weird, like, but it, <laughs> but it would be if this, was True. 20, if this was 20 years ago and you were 19 and I was nine. Maybe it's more about, like, upbringing because, like, we, I seem, we have had enough similar experiences that were cool, whereas I've dated people who are, like, into music that I was, like, those are the oldies, man. And like we watched totally different cartoons. I was talking with someone who, uh, God, I forget which cartoon it was, but I was like the old man watching the old cartoons. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> you were like seven when Batman the Animated Series was on. <laughs> so, like to Jess's point, though, like once you've reached that maturity, though, mm-hmm. it, at least there's like a level that you're, you're, all, you're all on this. You're at least playing the same game. Right, because you know all the you know at least know most of the rules. Yeah, like you can color inside the lines most of the time. Whereas you know, I don't know. I I feel like this got us really far from the post. I can't remember what, what the right. question was. So, okay. um, what was the question about the the falsely believing things? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, Would you believe it falsely or truly? In my opinion, falsely. But yeah, I I agree. I think mm-hmm. yeah, you'd believe something incorrect if if I made you change your mind with drugs. Yeah. I think the problem is that we agree too much on all these things. Well, that's why I'm trying to play devil's advocate. Okay. And I'll, I'll see what else we can do here. It's also because, like, this is, like, an accepted canon of the rationalist community, basically. <laughs> it's true. So, like, there, there's going to be, you know, discrepancies between people, but there's, I don't know, this is sort of like, everyone here kind of agrees that death is bad. Like, there, or what are, like, the other things that we think, like, probabilistic judgments and... Uh, science good yeah science good. <laughs> death bad, death bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right number seven although the statement my car is painted green is presently false i can make it true in the future by painting my car green however i can think of no analogous action i could take that would make it right to kill people 
Does this make the moral statement weaker, stronger, or is there no sense in making the comparison? So, like, I can change a fact about my car, but mm-hmm. I can't change a fact about uh, killing people, right? Well, I think you can change facts about what is desired in mass by humanity. Yeah, I, you could lie about somebody. Yeah. Oh, I killed them because they were a child rapist and I have faked evidence. I think I think pinning it down to individual people or, like, hypothetical or, or, or thought experiment people yeah, isn't yeah. the point of the thought experiment. Because, like, you, I mean, I think is, be- is it all right to kill um, whatever... Uh, the next big terrorist before you know as he's driving yeah, to obviously. shut up his car bomb sure right so i, I think um, it's but like is it is it all right to kill people yeah. is a different question i think that one would be very hard to ever change because if you did manage to get the species on board with not desiring life you wouldn't have a species for much longer uh but i think there's other things that uh can be changed i think that people should be treated as if they are all equal is something that used to not be considered a truth and now is by enlightened folks anyway yeah so over the course of history and many generations of effort we have managed to make a more a alter a moral statement or introduce a new one i suppose and yet there's no way that like i, I guess i could think of ways where society could swing us back mm-hmm. right through enough propaganda or something but mm-hmm. then we'd all just be wrong we wouldn't be changing a fact about the world if i like if i painted my car right yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm taking that as granted. So then I I'm wondering... Know. I think if you manage to somehow, through a combination of like biohacking and meme hacking, get to a point where everyone truly desired to only be around people that looked and thought very similar to them and did not want to be around people who were different, that it actually like gave them emotional pain to do that, that it could be morally right to kill those people if they came into your neck of the woods no not kill because people still want to live but to um treat outsiders differently and to discourage them from being around you i think that's the same equivalent as giving you the magic potion yeah that's just tricking that's just instead of magic potion we're just fucking with you through propaganda and and uh biohacking yeah if what you define is you as like a snapshot of your preferences at the time and then, like, something perverts that, then, like, humanity would not be the humanity that you bioengineered to make racist. So then I'm wondering, does that make the moral statement stronger, weaker, or is there no sense in making that comparison? To change the subjective preference, it seems like a weak word for it, to change the subjective judgment about the nature of morality in somebody, it's changed that person. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't seem like it makes the question, that makes the, the comparison weak or strong, it just seems like there's no sense in making it. Change, you know, changing somebody's subjective experience of something or perceptions is is different than changing the number of or changing the you know the paint on my car right what, okay so to t- make this a less convenient thing what if it turned out that having highly integrated societies actually was bad for civilization i mean it appears that the exact opposite is true that having integrated societies is better it fosters more creativity we can use everybody's talents to their best effect and that is why you know, integrated Western societies are winning and working so well. But let's say the opposite was true, that it made society stagnant and unable to work, and these societies eventually would fall into collapse and either die to diseases that they couldn't fight anymore because of lost technology or just be overrun by the next conquerors. If it literally led to people being wiped out and dying, uh then it probably would be a moral good to have more racist societies because it would prevent mass suffering and death. Right. But I mean, that's, that's just keeping with our current extrapolated, our, our, our current 
coherent extrapolated volition, right? Yeah. Like, because yeah. we don't we don't value inclusion and desegregation for their own sake. We value them for their what we expect and are probably right about there being their like actual consequences. Well, I think if we, we were do wrong, value them for their own sake. But 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 we've come to that because it has been beneficial for the species. Yes, but I think like anyone, it, maybe I'm missing the mark here. But like if if I was like to prove to somebody like no, look, this will actually kill everyone in a thousand years. Like no, I still think it's a good idea. Then they're just wrong, right? Yeah. yeah. So I don't think that most people would like lean into that unless they're just posturing for the sake of looking moral to their current people. But well, I like, think the people who are left that are racist believe something similar to this. Right. Which and that's why and, they and think they're, they're good people. And they're, they're mistaken. Right. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. But that's the point. <laughs> if, if I, I, I believe that, that desegregating societies is a good idea because of, you know, again, like you said, cross cultures and uh, it diminishes um, well, dimension diminishes racism by being able to sit next to black people in school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, and I believe that's a good thing for society. If I believe that was a bad thing for society, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. See, I wouldn't be racist even if I thought that it was true that interracial mingling did cause more violence. I would just want to change the part of our brains that <laughs> makes that true. Yeah. So, like here, I guess I'm going pro, uh, pro trans humanity again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm anti something else coming in and changing your preferences against your will, and I guess I'm pro being able to hack your own source code. Mm-hmm. I would like to be able to change my own preferences if I think that they're wrong. Yeah, but until we could do that, and the solution was like, look, sorry, society will just be a lot better. Literally, everyone will be happier if we cut everything apart. Yeah. Um, then it's like, all right, well, I guess until we can fix that and let me hang out with all my friends again, then let's just do what will make everyone the most happy on aggregate, right? Right. Um, I don't even know if I would call that racism at that point, though. No, because you're you're doing it for, I like I think the best reason possible, right? <laughs> like, Again, so it would, people do bad things for what they think are good reasons. But but if the, if you learned they were actually good reasons, yeah, right, that it would still be racism. It just wouldn't have negative connotations anymore. It'd be like, I want that man as my president because he's a racist. <laughs> you know? Well, it would be more like I want that guy to move over to the next town over, mm-hmm. and it's a bummer because I bet he's cool, but I just know it'll ruin our society if he stays or something, right? Okay. okay. Versus like I want him out because I don't like him because of whatever his height or his skin color or something, right? Yeah. So, all right, uh, I think we're on number eight, and I think that means it's your turn, Jess. Did we skip Beanish? Did we? Um, no, you. No, did. I read six, and then I did seven. That was the potion one. Okay. It just took so long that we forgot. (laughs) There does not appear to be any place in the environment where the reference of moral statements are stored, analogous to the place where my car is stored. Does this necessarily indicate that moral statements are empty of content, or could they correspond to something else? Is the statement 2 plus 2 equals 4 true? Could it be made untrue? Is it falsifiable? Where is its content? I love how these aren't rhetorical questions. <laughs> like they sound like they could be, but they're not. He's like, no, no, seriously. What do you think? So yeah. Does, does that mean that they're empty of content? I certainly don't think so no. to take the, take the questions in order. Um, it just means that they don't have external reference. Well, I think they do have external reference. It's the desires of sapient beings. Yeah. It's the neurons that hold that thought. They don't have ones that I can bring in, that I can show you right to your face. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I think we basically answered this earlier on accident because I brought up math because yeah. yeah so this this was very natural of him to bring up so damn it Stephen always bringing up math um, yeah me the mathematician <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain I'm the the worst mathematician in the room um, the statement two plus four is true or yeah the statement two plus two equals four is true because math yeah right so yeah. 
Um, could it be made untrue? Not really, because I mean, math is its own. Like, it's it's just it's logic. You could hit the mathematician on the head really hard, and then they might think two plus two equals six. I mean, if two plus two did equal six, then two plus two equals four is false. But since it doesn't and it can't, it's not. Right. <laughs> so, is it falsifiable? What's fun is like this is just like a logic, you know, syllogism, right? Yeah. And so, like, could could you falsify a logical syllogism? No. If all A are B and all B are C, all A are C, uh, I can't falsify that unless my unless my my axioms are wrong. And since since they're not, then it's then I can't. I once read a really cool, very short story about a secret number. That there's a secret number between two and three that nice. has been hiding, and it doesn't want you know anyone to know about it. So for the most part, whenever two and two are added together, you always get four because that thing is fucking with the universe, right? Uh, but it it it's basically the story about a detective showing up and finds this uh, this uh, mathematician who's dead. Apparently, looks like suicide. There's a suicide note and everything. Some things don't check out, but he's reading this weird manifesto about the secret number between two and three. He's like. Okay, uh, dude's obviously a kook, whatever, man. Because this is like one of those 50s gumshoes, right? Kooks do kooky things like kill themselves. Uh, but at the end, he, there's three raisins on the table. And he like picks up a raisin, puts it in his mouth. Mm, that's a tasty raisin. Looks down. There's three raisins on the table. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> it was the coolest thing. Were the other numbers sentient in this short story? Or was it just, so. was it just the secret It one? was just the secret number. Sounds he, nuts. There was a secret number of raisins on the table, and he just thought there were three. <laughs> it's outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember the name of this, I can find it. I'd be interested in reading it. Okay. Um, so the I think the last one I want to touch on this one is, where is the content of 2 plus 2 equals 4? I mean, it's in the axioms of math that we have created. Right. And that's that's a separate... That seems like to be a third place for lack of a better word for things to be true or false but we created them because they accurately model reality right as far as we can tell and but they're not they're not even two plus two is four isn't even like subjectively true right it's logically true yeah it's definitionally true right so you have this many things we call that four yeah it's it like so whereas like my my and there's words for all these in in philosophy i forget but you know there's objective and subjective and then there's this third thing which is just something else that there's a word for the content of this is stored external to all of us if the, if the universe went out like a light and well if everyone died mm-hmm. two plus two would still equal four well like, there would still be that amount of objects they wouldn't have a name anymore but but the but the the lot the, the the logic would still be sound whereas like if all humans are dead and there was no one around to make the judgment anymore human death is bad wouldn't be true anymore this right? sounds like the if a tree fell in a forest and no one was around to hear an argument <laughs> yeah, i think we're we're I'd rather not argue about Depends the definitions. On, right, definition yeah. of sound. I just think it's fun that it seems like there's at least three different places where these kinds of facts are stored, right? One is the like stuff I can throw in your face, like your tea is hot, yeah. splash. <laughs> One is it's bad to splash you. And two is, uh, or three, for those of you keeping count at home, the secret number between two and three <laughs> yes. um, is two plus two is four. So, all right. Number nine? Yes. The phrase is ought gap refers to the notion that no ought statement can be logically derived from any number of statement of is statements without at least one ought statement in the mix. For example, suppose I have a remote control with two buttons and the red button kills an innocent person and the green button sets them free. I cannot derive the ought statement I ought not to press the red button without both the is statement if I press the red button an innocent will die and the ought statement I ought not to kill innocents. Should we distinguish mixed ought statements like I ought not to press the red button 
from pure ought statements like, I ought not to kill innocents. If so, is there really any such thing as a pure ought statement, or do they all have is statements mixed into them somewhere? And this is where I think the stealth assassination came in, because, you know, from all this talking, we obviously believe that I ought not to kill innocents isn't a, a final ought statement. It's just a statement that death is bad, and killing an innocent creates death or ends their life, right? I mean, those are two is statements, and you don't need an ought to, to force things. Because the ought's implied. Or, I, I guess... Mean, the ought's not even implied. It's... Killing someone is bad. Right. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I know that there's a lot more to this, and it's weird. I guess maybe that maybe I'm finally getting old enough to forget. I used to know more about this sort of thing. Um, I Maybe it's just been so many years since I read anything by David Hume, and he was the guy that had the whole it is ought thing. Um, that made it at least popular. Um, and now I can't really remember what he was like, his, his stuff was on about, but what's weird is I know that I used to know this. This is actually rather disconcerting. Um, maybe I think I probably know more new things now than old me. It's all right. (laughs) You can, it's it's okay, Steven. Um, yeah, that's weird. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm mourning the loss of my memory. You go ahead and answer. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, All of these kind of make you look at, here is a fact about the universe independent of my perception, and here is what my perception of these things tells me. And this is the same thing. Uh, I ought not to kill people is my perception, and if I press the red button, then someone will die, isn't his statement. And you can get... (laughs) You cannot get... uh, uh, Any ash help. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I just disagree that there's a... A meaningful distinction that when someone says you can't get an ought from an is i say no you're wrong you totally can because death is bad therefore you shouldn't kill people i didn't hear an ought in there anywhere because therefore is an ought <laughs> <laughs> yeah but... therefore you ought not kill people oh i was just yeah i was saying you dodged the argument by not using ought but it's, okay. it is there and therefore yeah. um i'm spent on that one yeah I th- I, well i think i think we need someone who who disagrees with us on this and has thought it through to challenge us on this all right, moving on. Number 10, which has nothing to do with morality. <laughs> the statement, this painting is beautiful, could be rendered untrue by flinging a bucket of mud on the painting. Similarly, in the remote control example above, the statement, it is wrong to press the red button, can be rendered untrue by rewiring the remote. Are there pure aesthetic judgments? Or are there pure preferences? I have no idea what he's getting on about here. Like, yes, it's wrong to press the red button because of what it will do, not because it's a red button and you shouldn't press red buttons, <laughs> right? Right. And so I guess, are there pure aesthetic judgments or are there pure preferences? I'm not really sure how to answer that question. Well, the painting being beautiful is an aesthetic judgment. Yeah. And someone might think that the painting covered in mud is more beautiful. Yes, I'm not sure what a pure preference or a pure aesthetic judgment are. Like, what, Well, what, what are you making mean? a judgment based purely on aesthetics? I, I, that's, I'm literally asking. I have no idea. Like, what is I a, also what is have a no pure idea judgment what question here? 10 is all about. Yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not sure what a pure judgment is supposed to be. To me, art is fun to look at or it's not and it's universally overpriced but um <laughs> like I, I i guess i have no idea what what kind of judgment that means or what it means for that to be pure or impure mm-hmm. um i don't think that he's using pure in the sense of it being good or innocent i think what he means is are there like judgments that are completely aesthetic versus are there preferences like there's no like, objective part to it yeah the aesthetic is entirely subjective yeah oh sure then in that case definitely yeah, I mean, I've, I agree. Yeah, I, I've complained over 
over and over about like some of the artists saw at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and I thought it was just pointless and disgusting. And I hate to have it in my house, <laughs> and yet like it's there being revered by all these hipsters, and so um, that's definitely uh, like I think a purely subjective thing. Or everyone there is just like you know posturing to each other about how they get it because they're woke enough or something. Right. But there's I no think... doubt somebody who really thinks it, you know, who thinks it's really cool. And I think there's ways in which aesthetic preferences can be more complex or less complex. Uh, I know there's a lot of songs that are dead simple, but are loved anyway because of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's that's different from like saying this is an objective measure of whether something is aesthetically good or not, right? It's just like, yes, it's simpler or it's more complex, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's better. It just occurred to me that Eliezer is a computer scientist. Mm. So he's probably, he might be using the word pure in the form of like a pure function. Like in mathematics or in programming, it's like it returns the same output given the same input no matter what. I don't think that's the case right here because it could be like so if there's a purely aesthetic judgment it would make you know give you the same give the same aesthetic judgment based off your perception of it based uh per every input and never change or something right maybe okay. I, I think that's the same as saying a holy aesthetic judgment could be i clearly need to learn more english well no i mean i, I just think that that's possible but it's a esoteric enough use of the term that i think he would have defined it beforehand if that's what he was doing he would have mm. said meaning in this way i don't think so he it's not big on defining the terms that he uses. Yeah, he's if he's not using them in a standard way, he usually makes a note of it at some point before doing it that way. So there's like pure in the and I didn't even think of the way that Jess brought it up in that like innocent or um you know that that sort of thing. And I was thinking pure like this crystal is pure caffeine. It's not diluted with other things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so those are the two I was thinking of. And then there's the other kind of pure as like in in terms of functions. But since he didn't say pure function, he probably didn't mean math. Um. All right, that's that's all I got for that one. Okay. So we took a brief brief recess to refresh on what what lyrically wrote in for us, and it's great. And it's actually really engaging, and there it's it's a drag because it's it's fairly lengthy and it's really well distilled in that there's like not parts I can chop out. Um, I can grab out quotes, but that's not the point. Honestly, they've agreed to come back and be on the show at some point when they have free time. So yeah, I want to talk about a couple other things with them, but we'll just t we'll we'll revisit this when they come back. How's that sound, guys? Sounds good. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right. I will throw in one thing really quick that we touched on, but we didn't articulate. So Lyric raised the, raised the point of AIs could be programmed with whatever values you want. And they could have like moral truths to them, right? But I'm being less eloquent. That's why there's no point in paraphrasing this. Um, all right. Yeah. Lyric, we'll have you on to talk about this IRL, only because it we, we were at this for a while, and I think we're all philo philosophied out. So We are going to skip the um, three less wrong posts that we mentioned last time, because this entire episode was a less wrong post reading anyway. Uh, and just get straight into listener feedback. There is one last thing on this subject regarding less wrong posts. That okay. there are there are other posts way down the line that answer some of these in more depth. Yes. Um, so this isn't like the last place that this sort of thing is ever explicitly addressed in the sequences. It's just the first place. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. At Heart Engineer says, just so you know where you fall on my priority list, you're ahead of Radiolab. And they attached a screenshot of all the uh, total hours played of various podcasts. And yeah, we were ahead of Radiolab. We were ahead, I think, of 99% Invisible as well. Yep. Like, I was floored. That's awesome. And, and, <laughs> and past Making Sense of the Sam Harris, which is saying something because he puts out a lot more hours of content than we do. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't at all hurt that Joe Rogan had three times the time on here than we did because he puts out like 12 hours a week. So Right. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That was, that was really awesome. I felt just super cool. Yeah, so, thanks for that, at Heart Engineer. Yay. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't have... I guess much else to jump on here, but we never are out of time to do what? 
Thank our awesome patron. Thank the patron. That's right. Ooh. And this episode's patron is Jacqueline Newsom. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thanks so much, Jacqueline. You are awesome. You help us play this lottery every day. <laughs> That's right. And this is, uh, spe- especially to you, but to everybody, we don't like have good rewards on our website. We, we've had one person like ask for the little sound bite that we have on there. Yeah. If anyone has anything, I think I'm, I try to message, um, I try to, me- I try to message everybody who, you know, uh, signs on as a patron yeah. and sometimes I get backlogged and I occasionally miss some, but if I missed you message us and, um, if you want to, and if I have, I always try to say like, let us know what we can do. And that stands for, for anybody before we call your name, like, hey, this is fun. Do the, the su- suggest your own rewards because we don't we didn't think of good ones. So we put up the Patreon account, so we consider things within reason that are proportional to the effort involved and all that stuff. But and I will say that the best reward is the warmth you put in our hearts. That's right. That's the reward that we get. So you that's want the reward th- they get too. If you want your, if you want your reward that's more tangible for yourself, <laughs> right. then then you know how to yeah, reach like us. Making us do funny things on air. Like Funny what? How? <laughs> I don't know. Reading <laughs> things in silly voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. And on that happy note, are we, are we ready to call it? Yeah. All right. Thanks all for listening. We will get back into much less morality stuff going forward. That's right. See you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.